The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by IBM. Big data at the speed of business. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. I want to welcome men and women who are serving in our military and are tuning in via the Internet today from outposts all around the world. Thank you for your emails, for your service to our country, and for being with us today. And a special holiday greeting to you and your families. My guest this hour is popular commentator, CEO of Euro-Pacific Capital, and author of the new collector's edition of How an Economy Grows and Why It Crashes, Mr. Peter Schiff, who, as you know, was one of the first experts to forecast the collapse of the housing market and who is now predicting another failure, which is going to make the subprime mortgage meltdown look like a warm-up act. He'll be joining us in just a moment to give us a much-needed lesson on what triggers an economic collapse and what we can do to avoid sailing off that menacing fiscal cliff. But before Mr. Schiff joins us, as is my custom each week, let me tell you a little about his background. Peter David Schiff was born in New Haven, Connecticut, and earned his degree in finance and accounting from the University of California at Berkeley. He began his career as a financial consultant with Shearson Lehman Brothers. But by 1966, Schiff was ready to venture out on his own. He acquired Euro-Pacific Capital, and he served as the company's president through 2010, after which he became their CEO. As is often the case, economics and politics can be strange bedfellows. In addition to being a clairvoyant money and economic forecaster, Schiff was also tapped to act as economic advisor in Ron Paul's 2008 run for the presidency. And soon afterwards, a group of Connecticut citizens put up a website urging Schiff to run for the United States Senate in his home state. In 2009, he threw his hat in the ring for the Republican nomination, a nomination which was won by Linda McMahon. What most of you know Mr. Schiff for is his no-nonsense economic analysis. From his predictions regarding the crash of the housing market and the impact this would have on financial institutions to his current warnings about the instability of the U.S. dollar. Since 2009, Schiff has been warning that it would be impossible for the United States to repay its debt to China unless the U.S. dollar is diluted through massive inflation. What's more, Schiff has forecasted what he calls the blow up of credit card finance which is a concern I share with Mr. Schiff as more and more retailers offer 10, 20, 30% off at the cash register if you just apply for a credit card and you don't need any assets, you don't need a job, you don't even need a credit history to receive store credit. Schiff is not only regularly cited by newspapers all around the world, 
but he's also a frequent commentator on Fox News, CNBC, and other networks. And he hosts one of my favorite financial programs called The Peter Schiff Show. If you want straight talk about what's working in the economy and what is not, I suggest you tune in or read his regular blog. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Costa Report an economic expert who isn't afraid to call it the way he sees it, Mr. Peter Schiff. Thank you for joining us, Mr. Schiff. Sure. Thanks for having me on as your guest. Now, you have a new book out this month, uh, which makes it very easy for the person on the street to understand what makes an economy grow and what causes it to collapse. So I thought we'd open today's program by asking you to describe what does an economy need in order to thrive? Well, what it doesn't need is a lot of government regulation and a lot of uh, central banks. I mean, that's the the whole premise of, of the book, How an Economy Grows and Why It Crashes, which, you know, originally came out in 2010. And the book was so well-received and it's so popular. Uh, a lot of teachers use it in their classrooms, and a lot of young people are reading the book, that we came out with this collector's edition where we expanded the book. We, we've made it in color. It's a bigger book. Uh, it's got more material. So we thought it would be a, you know, a better coffee table type book or book to give as a gift uh, for people to really understand it, better for children with you know, bigger pictures and, and colorful pictures. In fact, the reason that I tried to write it uh, so that even an elementary school kid would understand it, was that I was hoping that congressmen would be able to understand it, because they're the ones that seem most confused about economics. So I wrote it uh, for a child so that uh, Congress could, could get it. Well, I'm glad you brought that point up, because I didn't think it was a book for children at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a book for adults also. But, you know, a lot of 11, 12, 13-year-old kids, I mean, love the book. I hear it from the kids, or I hear it from their parents. Uh, so they're learning economics, and it really proves that economics isn't difficult. I mean, uh, I think that we we try to make it difficult by overcomplicating it, but then when we do, all the real principles that are actually so simple to grasp are lost. And so the book really uh, goes into those principles, and, 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 and the way it's easier to see them is when you break them down into a small society. And that's we start with three people on an island, and we introduce the principles of saving, risk, underconsumption, uh, and, and things that grow an economy. But we, we, we do it in a simple way where it's really easy to understand it. But you know, when you have a more complex economy, none of those principles change. And so once you break it down to, to a simple form and you grasp it, now you understand it, and then you, can, you, you understand all the nonsense. Because when you hear these Keynesian economists uh, talking about how their government's going to stimulate the economy, you can understand why it's never going to work, you know, because this, you can't stimulate the economy by creating money, by spending money. The only way to stimulate the economy is to produce more. You need more production, and that means more savings. It means more work. And none of this is a function of a government program. In fact, the only thing the government can do with respect to economic growth is disrupt it, because all the things that the government does actually act as barriers to growth. So when they're trying to stimulate the economy, they're actually giving the economy a sedative. It's because of the government that we don't get the economic growth that we otherwise would have if we didn't have all the government. But what do you say to people who who point out that globalization has made production much more difficult because we're now competing, particularly not just globalization, but let's talk about the World Wide Web. 
We're now in competition with every country and every store owner and every factory all over the world, which is a, a substantially more complicated environment. Not really. I mean, we've always had global trade. I mean, we've always been a trading nation, uh, and its trading is a little bit more efficient now, but American manufacturers were always in competition with European or Asian manufacturers and vice versa. Uh, and so competition has always been there. We didn't have a problem with it in the past. Uh, what's changed is that in the past, we had very little government in America. And so we had a comparative advantage in, in economic freedom. And because we didn't have a lot of government, uh, it, we were a low-cost producer of, uh, of goods, even though we actually used to pay the highest wages in the world. That's not the case anymore. There are plenty of countries where the wage scales are much higher than they are in America. But at one time in our history, American wages were higher than any other wages, yet the products that our workers produced were a lot less expensive than the products that were produced in Europe even though people uh, were paid lower wages. So we, we, we had the cheap capital and we had a lot less government regulation. But the government over the years has imposed so much regulation and taxation on American business that that is the root cause of the problem. That's why we're no longer competitive uh, with other countries. Now, under normal circumstances, this would have resulted in a much bigger diminution in our standard of living than it has. I mean, our standard of living is going down, but not nearly as much as it would have had the world not been subsidizing us all these years by propping up our currency and by supplying us with a lot of goods in exchange for the money that we print. But that really is going to change when we get the dollar crisis that I've been anticipating. When the bottom drops out of the dollar and the dollar crashes relative to other currencies, then Americans aren't going to be able to import goods anymore because we're not going to be able to afford it. And since we can't make the stuff ourselves, we're going to have to go without a lot of things. I mean, right now, people go to Walmart and there's all sorts of goods that are stacked up on these shelves that are very inexpensive. Well, when the dollar crashes, the shelves are going to be empty. There's going to be nothing there. And if there is anything there, it's going to be very expensive. Well, now we have to take our first commercial break. But when we come back, I'd like to find out what our leaders can do to prevent hyperinflation from kicking in, because that's what we've really been ending this segment with. And, and there's got to be some levers that we can pull to maybe avoid the inevitable. You're listening to the Costa Report. Did you know that every day we create 2.5 quintillion bytes of data and that 90% of the data in the world today has been created in the last two years alone? This data comes from everywhere and it affects everyone. This data is big data. Big data is all data and it's more than simply a matter of size. Big data represents an opportunity to uncover new insights, make your business more agile and answer questions that were previously beyond your reach. IBM's big data platform uses sophisticated technologies and patented advanced analytics designed to complement your existing information infrastructure. The IBM big data platform allows you to get started quickly today and expand to address more complex problems tomorrow. It doesn't matter where you start, it matters that you start. Find out how IBM can help you turn big data into a competitive advantage by visiting ibm.com slash big data today.
Well, the holidays are upon us, and that means the festivities are officially underway. So here's a tip guaranteed to make a splash at every party and put a smile on every hostess. Pick up a bottle of Caraccioli Pinot Noir Chardonnay Brut or Brut Rosé. Grown, perfected, and bottled by the Caraccioli family, these old-school premium wines are one of the best-kept secrets among wine aficionados. But trust me, the secret's getting out fast. So grab a bottle while these wines are still affordable. Go to CaracciolisCellars.com or stop by their tasting room on Dolores and Ocean Avenue in downtown Carmel and pick up a bottle of Caraccioli Premium Wines and bring a little bling to the holidays. A few years ago, I noticed I was feeling increasingly tired. My fatigue was so intense that I got to the point sometimes when I got home from work, I couldn't even remember the drive. The excessive tiredness and forgetfulness, not to mention my snoring that constantly woke up my husband, prompted me to get a sleep test. The results showed that I have sleep apnea. Sleep apnea is a common disorder. In fact, 50 to 60% of those who snore have it. Many couples accept snoring as an inevitable part of nightly life, but sleep apnea is associated with serious health problems, such as the risk of high blood pressure, heart attack, stroke, and even heart failure. Treatments for sleep apnea range from simple lifestyle changes to breathing machines to surgery. Treating my sleep apnea has changed my life. Armed with information, you too could be on your way to a restful night's sleep and a healthier life. Learn more at wakeuptosleep.org or call 877-389-8868. There's just one place where students are students first and athletics are played with purpose and perspective. There's just one place where a team is more than a group of individual agendas. It's a catalyst for demonstrating the potential of the collaborative spirit. There's just one place where players, coaches, and fans experience the exhilaration that happens when an entire community rallies behind the school team. That place is your local high school. High school sports offer more than the joy of competition. Studies show that student-athletes are more likely to enjoy greater levels of achievement in other areas of their lives, including academics. In addition, high school sports help young people in California develop the discipline and confidence they need to be leaders in life, even as they unite communities like nothing else. High school sports, a winning part of a complete education. This message presented by the California Interscholastic Federation and the California State Athletic Directors Association. Got a comment or a question? Visit Rebecca Costa's comments page at RebeccaCosta.com. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is economist, author, and CEO of Euro-Pacific Capital, Mr. Peter Schiff. And before the break, you were beginning to talk about the fact that other countries are propping up the dollar, and once they stop, hyperinflation is likely to kick in. So can you explain to our audience today how these countries are propping up the dollar, and what would signal a change in that policy? Well, first of all, China has already signaled a change. Uh, Recently, they had a a major meeting uh, where they announced that the they no longer wanted to continue to expand their foreign reserves and that they were going to let their currency rise. And, you know, China now has almost $4 trillion in foreign reserves, the majority of which are U.S. dollars. And so the way China accumulates those reserves 
is Chinese companies sell products to Americans, and we pay for those products with dollars. Mm-hmm. But the Chinese companies that sell us these products, they don't want the dollars. They have to pay their workers. They have to pay their rent. They need Chinese currency. But they, if they were to sell the dollar on the market, it would crash because there's no buyer. So the Chinese government comes in, buys up those dollars, and creates Chinese currency to give to Chinese exporters. And so what happens is we get their stuff, and they end up getting our inflation because now the money that they earned selling products in America is bidding up prices in China. And prices have been rising rapidly in China for years. And so the Chinese citizens have to suffer rising prices while we get a big subsidy. Meanwhile, the Chinese government takes the dollars that it buys off their exporters and then buys U.S. treasuries and U.S. mortgages, financing our deficits, financing our housing markets. And so we get the benefit of uh, low interest rates and escalating real estate prices, and the Chinese just get inflation. And this is a bad deal for them. And so we've been basically it. exporting inflation. Right. And Okay, so why would the Chinese government cooperate with that? That's A lot of people, this is not going to make a lot of sense to some of my audience. They're going to say, why would any country agree to, uh, to take on our inflation? And isn't the well, answer that they're so deeply invested in our economy, they can't see, afford to see us go south? Well, that is the psychological explanation. It's a form of vendor financing. And a lot of businesses have fallen into the trap. You know, you have a big customer and, you know, you, you want to support the customer. You don't want to, you know, lose their business. And so for years, the Chinese have been trying to support the American consumer uh, because they figured eventually we would get our act together. We would solve some of our problems. We would start manufacturing again. And then the Chinese could spend all these dollars on actual stuff. But right Instead now, of, they need us to buy their products, don't they? So, well, see, that's the, the, the mistake. They don't need us to buy their products because if we didn't buy their products, they would buy their own products. <laughs> and Chinese citizens <laughs> okay. would be a lot better off with their products than our paper money. Because if the Chinese government stops buying dollars and the dollar goes way down, that means the Chinese currency, the yuan, goes way up. And so mm-hmm. Americans are poorer, but the Chinese are richer. And the and Chinese richer. standard of living goes up. Right, because now in China, prices are coming down instead of going up. And now Chinese workers can afford to buy the products they're buying. They can't afford to buy them right now. Americans can afford it. But when the dollar goes down and their currency goes up, now we can't afford the products and they can't. Well, let so me just make a slight correction. We can't afford it because that's the other thing that you speak about. We're we not really, really paying for these goods. We're getting credit to pay that's for right. the goods. So, And none of us have any savings. Corporations don't have any savings. The government doesn't have any savings. And individual citizens don't have any savings. Right. We don't know we're, how to save anymore. We're all broke, and we've been borrowing the money from countries like China. But the problem is we can't pay them back. And Rather than acknowledging that, they just keep lending us more and more money because they know the minute they stop lending, uh, we have to default. In fact, we've said that. If you remember the, you know, the last time we actually argued about raising the debt ceiling, um, the President of the United States, the Secretary of the Treasury, the Chairman of the Federal Reserve, everybody said if we don't raise the debt ceiling, we're going to default. Right? Well, China is holding trillions of dollars of our debt, and we told the Chinese if we can't borrow more money from you, we're going to default on the loans that you've already made to us. So we're telling everybody, 
that we're going to default as soon as we can't borrow more money. Well, so, we have yeah. another opportunity to admit that we're broke coming up in the end of January. So uh, how do you think that's going to go? Well, they're just going to raise the debt ceiling. You know, just like, look, they just came up with an agreement to eliminate the, the tiny cuts that were required by the sequester. Yes. Right? Yet, yet they're, 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 they're claiming that this new bill is the deficit reduction. It's not a deficit reduction. The deficit goes up as a result of what they did. What they did is they proposed cuts in the future. But what they did is they eliminated cuts in the present that they promised to make in the past. And now they want us to believe that in the future they'll actually do what they refuse to do right now. <laughs> you know, because all the supposed cuts take place in the future, but there's increased spending right now. Well, well, it, it turns out, yeah, it turns out we're only capable of kicking the can down the road for six months at a time now. Uh, well, I think we're, right? you know, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're going to pretend there is no can, you know, and, and that we're going to raise the debt ceiling and we're going to keep on, you know, going in this direction. Until and, what? Until well, what? Until there's a crisis. And you, you said, you know, inflate, hyperinflation being inevitable. It, 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 it's only inevitable if we don't change course. So. Well, isn't it? I, let me ask you this, because, yeah. you know, I, I want to try to put some hope in here. Uh, uh, we're printing money every day. We put more and more dollars into circulation. You don't have to be an economist. You just be a, a logical human being. And even if you didn't understand any other economic principles, you'd understand that the more you print, the more supply you're putting into circulation. Eventually, you know, each of those dollars are going to be worth less, right? Yes. The more you create, the less they're worth. Uh, printing money doesn't create wealth. Money isn't wealth. It represents claims on the existing wealth. So what so, is our plan? Tell me my plan. We don't pl have a plan. We're, we're, <laughs> we're flying by the seat of our pants. Our, our plan there is There has just to be a plan. No, no. It, it, it's, uh, we have the same plan that Bernie Madoff had. You know, <laughs> that it, just, just hope that it lasts <laughs> as long as possible before it collapses. That, that, that's our plan. And, but what, what's going to happen is there, there will be a dollar crisis where the dollar falls precipitously, maybe 20, 30, 40%, I mean, and interest rates really push up. And now the Federal Reserve can't play this game anymore. The Fed is going to be in a position where it has to choose. It has to pick its poison, right? How is the economy going to die? Is it going to be a collapse of the stock market and the real estate market and a huge financial crisis that's worse than 2008? Uh, with no bailouts, or is it going to be something worse than that, which is hyperinflation? But we're going to have to suffer one of those two fates. Hopefully, it's it's the former. But you know, the worst case would be the latter. If the Fed is so afraid of a worse financial crisis than 2008, and if it it, it tries to avoid it by just increasing the quantitative easing and buying up all the bonds that the Chinese don't want. Or, and all the bonds that you know, nobody wants, because it's not just going to be China that's selling, it's going to be everybody, including Americans. You know, everyone's going to want out of Treasuries and, and, and Fannie Mae and Freddie. You know, no one's going to want well, all there'll these be, There'll bonds. be massive dumping, that's for certain. And right. we, and we've seen is, that before. Yeah, and if yeah. the Fed is going to buy it all, then it's going to be hyperinflation. But it's, this right. is not going to end well. Well, we, no, have to you know. take, we have to take another yeah. short break. We'll be right back with Peter Schiff. You're listening to the Costa Report. Do you 
love creating salads as much as you enjoy eating them? Hi, I'm Amy Tobin, cookbook author and culinary expert. Dole inspires fresh and wholesome dishes for any meal with their wide selection of salad blends and all-natural salad kits. From the mild and tender texture of sweet butter lettuce to the crunch of classic romaine sprinkled with colorful shredded carrots and red cabbage, Dole has over 30 salad blends to satisfy every palate. If you're looking for the ultimate in convenience, try Dole's unique salad kit combinations that include farm-fresh lettuces and vegetables, mouth-watering all-natural toppings, and specially made dressings. It's all you need to make a distinctively delicious salad. The possibilities are endless. Visit www.dolesalads.com for recipes and other ideas to feed your culinary imagination. Did you know that thousands of children in their families depend on the Boys and Girls Clubs every day? We provide nutritious meals, mentoring, academic support, scholarships, and so much more to ensure the children in Monterey County are prepared for great futures. Hello, my name is Donna Ferraro, CEO and President of the Boys and Girls Clubs of Monterey County. Today, I am on a mission because so many children depend on us. I am asking our entire community to help meet the need. Will you help? Your gift of $10 will feed five children a healthy after-school meal. Be part of creating great futures for our kids. Visit us online at bgcmc.org slash give. Or give us a call at 831-394-5171. Please, give today and make your investment count for a lifetime. Boys and girls of Monterey County and I thank you for your support. Hello, I'm Ben Vereen. You probably know me for my singing, acting, and dancing on Broadway, television, and the big screen, but what you may not know about me is that I'm one of the 26 million Americans living with diabetes. My doctor diagnosed me four years ago. But now, with my blood sugar levels under control, I've been blessed to continue to do what I love to do, perform, and not let this disease, type 2 diabetes, hold me back. In fact, I've taken a stand for my diabetes, and I'm asking those of you with diabetes and those who love them to take this stand with me. Talk to your doctor today, and visit StandForDiabetes.org to learn more. That's StandForDiabetes.org. A public service of taking control of your diabetes made possible with support from Santa Fe U.S. Remember, if you have diabetes, it doesn't have to hold you back. Victor A, this is Scorpion 23, traveling west on MSR Vernon. Four Victors, 16 packs, request MSR status over. Roger, Scorpion 23, all MSRs and AOR at past 24 hours. Three IEDs on MSR Always be casualties. And for our wounded warriors, coming home can sometimes be a battle in itself. American troops who suffer traumatic injuries need the support of every American. Join us and send your message of support to our wounded warriors and their families at USO.org. The USO, until everyone comes home. 
Join Rebecca Costa right now on Facebook. Search facebook.com forward slash Rebecca Costa. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa. And if you're just joining us, my guest today is author, forecaster, and CEO of Euro Pacific Capital, Mr. Peter Schiff. Uh, Mr. Schiff, isn't it possible that we'll see an attempt uh, to renegotiate the terms of bonds and treasuries? I mean, we see large corporations like Clear Channel doing that right now. They're asking for more time to pay their bondholders. Uh, Wouldn't we see some intermediary measures taking place? Well, if we're lucky, we'll get something like that, where the government restructures and you know levels with its creditors and admits that it can't afford to pay back the interest in principal that it borrowed and uh, basically you know pays something less, kind of like Greece, you know, where you give the bondholders a haircut. Uh, that is better than just printing a bunch of money and paying everybody off in, in worthless money. Mm-hmm. But you know, right now there is no uh, it, it, there is no reason to believe uh, or expect that to happen. Now, maybe when it hits the fan, uh, in order to avoid hyperinflation, that's what will happen. But, you know, those are the two choices. Either the government inflates its debts away or it defaults. But repaying the money it's borrowed or making or paying the money it's promised, because a lot of the government liabilities is not where they actually borrowed money and issued a treasury bond. But the government has promised to make all sorts of payments. It's promised to pay people pensions. Entitlement programs, for example. Social security benefits, Mm -hmm. right? None of these promises can be kept. So either they have to be reneged on. Or renegotiated. Yeah, or they, or, yeah. Well, and that means that people aren't going to get get what they were promised. Now, let's talk about something that is really on the horizon and that troubles me. I, I mean, I lose sleep over this. The status of the dollar as the reserve currency of the world. I mean, yes. if we if we go into hyperinflation, if we continue down the path that we're on right now, uh, the dollar is not going to be the reserve currency. How does that affect? Yeah, well, the only way we're going to have hyperinflation is if the dollar is not the reserve currency. Because if the dollar is the reserve currency, then other countries are going to get stuck with all of our inflation. Because That's we'll right. be able to keep exporting it. So if we but have, we're hanging by a yeah, thin thread yeah. here. So if we have hyperinflation, then the world has already rejected the dollar and it's no longer the reserve currency. So what but, should we be looking for? What's the sign to you that says, all right, we've kicked into hyperinflation? No well, question you, about you, it. Well, I mean, it, prices will be skyrocketing. It won't be, there won't, it won't be like you have to look for a sign. It's I like won't have to call be, you up and say, are we in hyperinflation? No, <laughs> if there's hyperinflation, you'll know all right. that there's, hyperinflation. So, you know, the question is, how, how do we know that hyperinflation is coming when it hasn't arrived yet? I mean, that's a difficult thing. Or how do you know if inflation gets to 10% or 15% Because you can look, year? because according to your book, you can look at the fundamentals. The right, fundamentals well, don't change. Right. But hyperinflation, if it happens, it's because we, we refuse to prevent it. But preventing it is difficult for politicians to do because it involves telling the truth, admitting their mistakes, and disappointing a lot of voters. Well, aren't there three things, according to to the uh, information that I've researched on your position, Uh you you advocate three things. You say we have to start saving. That includes individuals, governments, right? Right. And that means cutting spending and putting money away. Mm -hmm. 
number two, uh, we have to increase production. There's no digging out of the hole if you don't increase production, right? Yep. And yep. Uh, right, and 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 number number three is is that you you have to renegotiate these debts that you owe. Right. Well, now, we have if you to do allow... all three of those, we have a chance to turn this around. Yeah. Is that right? Right, and we have to, as part of the process, we have to let interest rates go up because that's what's going to encourage savings. That's what's going to fund our investments for new production. But if interest rates go up, we can't afford to pay the interest on the money we've already borrowed. So if we're going to let interest rates go up, we have to renegotiate the debt. We have to allow default. We have to allow uh, people not to get paid. But nobody wants to do that. So what they do is they keep printing money so that we don't have to default so that we can continue to, to make our mortgage payments and our bond payments. But in doing that, what the government is doing is exacerbating all the problems in the economy while preventing uh, the, the resolution. Because the cheap money encourages more, spec, more spending, uh, more borrowing, more speculation, and it inhibits the things that we need to do. Like right, right. So, so the longer we delay this, the worse the situation gets. Now, Absolutely. That's, now, why, that's why it's bad. That's why, that's why we've been in this great recession for five or six years. And even though the government claims that we're in a recovery, it doesn't feel like a recovery. Can, can I ask you a America. favor? Can I ask yeah. you a favor? I'd like you to come up with a new word for this because I don't like <laughs> them using the word recession. I, th- I think that is a mischaracterization of where we're at. We, we, well, they we, well, they we, we passed that, you know, you know what? We passed that town a long time ago. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they, they think it's a recovery. And I can tell you this, if this is how bad the recovery is, imagine what the next recession is going to look like. Because uh, obviously, <laughs> one is coming, we're overdue. But yeah, I think we've been in a depression the entire time. So, so do I. Although some people, because of what the Fed is doing, there are certain people that are being enriched by what the Fed is doing, but at the expense of a far greater number of people who are being impoverished. Okay, let's talk about let's talk about those people. Now, you feel pretty strongly. You've come out publicly mm-hmm. saying that the price of gold and silver is going to see nothing but an increase. But you've also said that that is does not bode well for the economy because that money that goes into gold and silver is not money going into building plants, buying equipment. Uh, starting oh, yeah. jobs and building production, which you claim if without production, there's no getting out of this. Right. And there is production in the world right now. Unfortunately, it's not happening in America. It's happening in, in other countries. But and, and right now, the the price of gold is not going up. In fact, every time it goes up a little bit, it, 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 it gets sold. And, it, you know, like this morning, all of a sudden, early in the morning, before we all wake up, bam, they, they knock the price down 20 bucks. The world is doing everything it can. The financial community is doing everything it can to keep the price of gold from rising. Because once it really goes up, the party's over, right? It's like the canary in, in, in the coal mine. Everybody wants to keep it alive. Nobody wants the canary to die because then, you know, the miners will, will figure out there's a problem. And, and, and so they're trying to keep the price of gold down. It's not going to work. Eventually, it is going to skyrocket. In fact, as the West is selling gold to try to keep the price down, the Chinese are buying it up, and mm-hmm. and eventually we're going to run out of gold to sell, and they're going to keep buying. And now that, that now that's a, that's another sign in and of itself, isn't yeah. it? That the Chinese are buying so much gold. They are buying. In fact, China is the world's largest gold producer, yet they don't export any of it. Every ounce of gold that is mined in China is bought by the Chinese government. Yes. In addition to all the gold that China produces, 
that the Chinese government is buying, they're still buying more gold that is produced outside of China. So it's, their, it's, it's like Saudi Arabia importing oil. You know? <laughs> That's what they're doing with gold. So why are they buying? You know, they're, not, they're not stupid. So, and I think they're trying to prepare for the day where the dollar is no longer the reserve currency, where the dollar is crashing and they need something else to back up their currency, and that something else is gold. So did this all start, and I've got to go to a commercial break here, so just a quick answer. Did this all start when uh, we decided to move away from the gold standard and silver standard? Yeah, I mean, that, I mean, that was kind of the beginning of the end, although you can trace it back to the Roosevelt era and then even further back to the Progressive era, uh, where we really started moving away from our founding principles. But, you know, America was... But the, the minute freest. money wasn't tied to anything, and Ron Paul says this over and over yeah. again, the minute money's not tied to anything, it's political. Right. Well, I mean, it's no, it actually is no longer money at that point. It's just fiat, which is what we have. I mean, we have little pieces of paper that are masquerading as money, but it's not real money. Just because we're using it and it circulates as a medium of exchange doesn't mean it fits the real definition of money. Uh, what, 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 if it was backed by gold, it would be currency. Uh, yes. and, but currency is supposed to be backed by money. Currency that's backed by nothing is, is known as fiat currency, which is what we have. But a fiat system can't work, and, and we're experiencing that, and we're going to get a much bigger bad taste of this when the whole thing implodes. Right. Well, uh, what we yes. basically have is we have a laboratory for fiat currency and, and all the reasons that it can't work over the long haul. Now, we have to take our last break, but stay right where you are. We'll be right back with Peter Schiff. You're listening to The Costa Report. Fifty years ago, Dr. Martin Luther King delivered his famous I Have a Dream speech. But something you may not know is that Dr. King was represented by the world's foremost speaking agency, the American Program Bureau. The American Program Bureau has a courageous history of representing luminaries, entertainers, and motivators from all backgrounds. From Ronald Reagan, Richard Branson, and Mikhail Gorbachev, to John Stewart, Michael Douglas, and Desmond Tutu. From A-list celebrities to best-selling authors, cutting-edge business leaders, and the greatest minds in academia, the American American Program Bureau has speakers to fit every venue and every budget. When corporations, conferences, schools, and community organizations need an expert speaker, they turn to the American Program Bureau to help them craft an event that will be remembered long afterwards. To inquire about a speaker for your next engagement, contact the American Program Bureau at 800-225-4575 or visit our website at apbspeakers.com. The American Program Bureau, making history one speech at a time. The best gifts I have ever received have been books. They're not expensive and they don't use electricity, but they do offer hours of enjoyment. So do I have good news for you. The new paperback edition of The Watchman's Rattle is available in bookstores everywhere, including airports across the country. This is the only book to expose just how complicated our lives and governance has become. It not only explains the reasons for gridlock, but it also provides the answers. So pick up the new paperback edition of The Watchman's Rattle for a friend. The book Richard Branson says is a must-read. And while you're at it, grab a copy for yourself. You'll be happy you did.
He worked out early, practiced late, and studied well into the night. The next day, he did it all over again. She missed time hanging out and socializing with friends so she could make it on time to practices and games. He became a top student and a confident leader, even as he helped his team win back-to-back conference titles. She became a role model in her community, even as she led her team to an undefeated season. And when they finished playing high school sports, what did they do next? She graduated from college with honors and went to work for a successful company. He attended graduate school and became a difference maker in his community. Because that's what student athletes in California do. They use the skills they develop playing high school sports today to do even bigger things in life tomorrow. High school sports. A winning part of a complete education. This message presented by the California Interscholastic Federation and the California State Athletic Directors Association. As the holiday season approaches, Boys and Girls Clubs of Monterey County once again invites you to adopt a family for Christmas. Our staff has selected over 100 of our children and their families to be part of this special holiday program. Each family is carefully selected based on need. Each gift is then wrapped with love. Please contact us today to volunteer or donate, 831-394-5171. Or you can email the Boys and Girls Clubs at info at bgcmc.org. Sponsored in part by Clear Channel Media and Entertainment. Ag Against Hunger needs your help. This is Lindsay Cope, Executive Director. Since 1990, we've provided over 200 million pounds, that's one billion servings, of fresh and nutritious produce to millions of hungry children, seniors, and families in our community. We could not have achieved this without our dedicated cooler and equipment. Please help us add much-needed cooler space and maintain our vital equipment by donating to our Keep the Cooler Cool Fund today. Just go to aginsthunger.org and make your donation. Thank you. Take a moment to see Rebecca's video pick of the week. Go to YouTube and subscribe to the Rebecca Costa YouTube channel. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is Peter Schiff. So, uh, you know, no one knew that the government was going to be able to keep a lid on uh, this downslide for as long as uh, they have. I mean, even you predicted that uh, you thought hyperinflation might kick in around 2012, 2013. And uh, they've managed to keep raising the debt ceiling and uh, and not making the cuts, not renegotiating the debt. Um, we're, we're in a heap of trouble right now. So let's say you get a call from uh, President Obama or someone in his administration and you have an opportunity to make one or two really practical recommendations, which would get the country maybe on the right track. Is there something we can do immediately to avoid destroying the dollar and going bankrupt? Because there's so much momentum in the wrong direction right now. So, Well, we're already basically bankrupt. So, you know, but just because you're bankrupt, look, you know, Donald Trump went bankrupt. He's, he's you know, doing okay. A lot of successful people have gone bankrupt a couple of times. So just because we're technically bankrupt doesn't mean it's the end of the world, right? But it means that we can't pay our bills, right? It means we've borrowed too much. And so rather than living in denial and keeping interest rates artificially low so we can keep on borrowing and pretending that we can pay our bills, uh, we have to admit that we can't because the act of postponing the inevitable is just making the underlying problems worse. And so it just means that we eventually go bankrupt or admit we're bankrupt. We just owe even more money. And so we create even more losses for our creditors. Or if we, we don't go bankrupt, if we just have hyperinflation instead, we create 
much more misery for people who depend on the dollar, which is the average American who's working his butt off to get a paycheck. Because what he's getting paid is dollars. And if the dollar crashes, well, you're working for nothing. Meanwhile, your savings are wiped out, your, your, your insurance policies have no value, uh, your annuities, your pensions, everything gets destroyed. Well, that's already the case. Well, their annuities, no, their pensions, uh, they're they're already ruined, and and people well, are paying thirty to more. eighty. They're paying thirty to eighty percent on their credit card debt. Yeah, well, I mean, that's First sure. Premier I'll, Bank is charging seventy nine point nine percent on credit cards well, out I, in the I, Midwest. I, I mean, the, people are in a hole so deep. That's why I'm saying we can't call it a recession anymore. No, for most people, it's not. It's a depression, and it's going to be something worse. At the end, uh, but you know we continue to postpone it. Meanwhile, because we print all this money, we get the Dow Jones going up. We manage to get real estate prices to go up, and because people uh, think they're richer because there's a higher value on these assets, they go out and borrow more money and spend it. And you know what I tell people? Money, uh, you, you know, know what we, I tell people that are out there yeah. buying up real estate and saying you'll never see prices and interest rates at this rate? I tell them it won't matter if no one has any money to to buy your real estate. Well, when you try have, to, well, well, the problem is if everybody has so much money, then what's your real estate worth? You know, that's the problem. I mean, what's the money worth? Yeah, you can say, oh, yeah, your house is worth millions. Okay, well, how many millions do you need to buy a cup of coffee? You know, that's going to be the problem. The that problem is, is the problem. Be- <laughs> so I, I don't, I would not want to be a financial advisor in this climate. Well, it is difficult. I mean, that's who I am. I mean, there, there are very few good moves when everything is going south. In, in the old days, when my granddad used to buy bonds, buy some stocks, buy some dividend stocks. Look, and and that, order- com- that combined with Social Security was his retirement. He wrote out a, a very nice, comfortable retirement life. Now uh-huh. people have no pensions. They have no retirement. They have no health care. They have no savings. Their houses are worth nothing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, what, what do they do? You know, unfortunately, the, the if you want to invest the right way, you have to be willing to look like a fool in the short run. I mean, that, because everybody who doesn't know what's going on thinks they're getting rich. Just like you know, in the in the in the housing bubble, uh, if you sat out the housing bubble because you thought it was a bubble, everybody thought you were a fool. Now you had the last laugh when the prices collapsed, and they would have collapsed more uh, had the government not intervened. Uh, but the same people who missed the housing bubble. Are, are missing an even bigger one now, and they're making even more foolish decisions with their money. But temporarily, they think they're right because their bad decisions are being ratified uh, by the rising markets. But if people want to be positioned for the real crash that's coming, they need to think differently. They, there, there is a way to position your portfolio uh, to not only avoid the collapse, but profit from it. And that's what we're working with our clients at Europe Pacific Capital uh, and my brokerage firm, an asset management company, to try to make let get people into the right into the right asset classes. But so, it so easy. let me ask is, you know, again. So, right so, what would you tell? Just pick one thing that you'd tell the Obama administration they need <laughs> to do today. Well, resign would be a good step in the right direction. <laughs> All right, they, let, we're Obama, not going to go there. We're not going there I on this show. Him, I'm t- I'm talking about an economic policy. Yeah. Look, I mean, I, I mean, if I told President Obama. What he needs to do, A, I don't think he would believe me because I think in his heart he's a socialist, and so he doesn't want to listen to a free market-oriented solution. Okay, I mean, let's say you know, he's not a socialist. What would you recommend? Well, I mean, what would I, you know, obviously what I'd tell him is we have to slash government spending massively, 
We've got to spend, you know, we got to take a. He doesn't have the ability to do that. Congress has to do that. Well, he tells you can't Congress, pin that. Yeah. You can't pin that on the president. No, he does. He tells the president, I will not. I will veto. I'm going to veto any spending and any, any budget that that doesn't slash that, spending. That, yeah, I mean, I yeah, that's it. I, I we, we that's we're fine. Spend. Uh, that's fine. Then we won't have a budget. We haven't had one anyways. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, he's like, just do it. Just be, start firing people at the federal level. Start closing departments and agencies, letting people go, you know, and, you know. Just like we had the government shutdown. But a real shutdown. That was a phony shutdown because nothing actually shut down. Everybody kept getting paid. I have to say, Peter, (laughs) Peter, do do you ever find people are moving away from you at a cocktail party? I mean, I'm I'm trying to get some good news in here. But that would be good news. (laughs) A government shutdown. Most of my listeners are not. They don't have a happy face right now. No, no. But a real government shutdown means that you don't have to pay your income taxes anymore. So we didn't, you know, it it means that. Oh, there we go. There's our silver lining. I knew there was one. If we we have a real shutdown, we don't have to pay for it. During the phony shutdown, we had to pay for everything. Okay, so we want a real shutdown where where we don't have to pay taxes because there's nothing to pay taxes for. We don't have to pay those kind of taxes. I think we should pay (laughs) some taxes, just not income taxes or payroll taxes. But we have to pay some taxes to support the legitimate functions of government. But unfortunately, most of what government is doing today is not legitimate. It's theft, where they steal from one person and give to somebody else. In the meantime, they're just wrecking the economy with all the bureaucrats and all the regulations. So the president needs to start repealing regulations. He can start with Obamacare and work his way backwards. All right. But, now, know. we believe it or not, Peter, we this is the fastest hour I've ever had on radio. Yeah. I'll tell you, we're out of time right now, and I wish we weren't because I'd like to keep going with you. But I, I don't want to I don't want to let you go without you mentioning the book again and where listeners can go to get the book and also read your blog. Yeah, the newest book, and I've written four or five, the newest one is the collector's edition of How an Economy Grows and Why It Crashes. You can buy it right now on Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble probably. It'll probably be in the bookstores by Christmas, mm-hmm. but you can go on and order it now. It'll be, if you buy it as a gift or for yourself, it'll be delivered from Amazon before, before Christmas. So I think it makes a great gift, a gift of knowledge. If you own the original book, you still need to get this one uh, because you'll really be glad you have it. I've got one of the first copies in my hand right now. Um, and as I said, you know, there are people who have ordered cases of these books after reading one. And all around the world, it's been translated into a number of languages. So it's not just Americans who are benefiting from this. But, you know, it's, uh, it's been a very, very good book. For a lot of people, it's their favorite book that I've written. And it's well, I, I agree. I agree with that. Hours. And I, and yeah. I want to tell my listeners, it's not just for kids. I think yeah. I, no, I, I, I want a, a lot book. of my listeners that email me incorrect economic information to read that book. They've got to go back to the fundamentals. In fact, when I first wrote it, I sent a copy to every member of Congress for free. <laughs> I sent it out there because I was hoping that you know they would learn something. Well, I, I hope they read it. And if they didn't uh, and they're listening today, I hope they'll take uh, the Christmas holidays to read it. Well, that is our program for today. But before we let you go, I want to thank you for making time to speak with us. Uh, And I hope you'll come back soon. Anytime. Thanks for having me on. If your station is leaving us after this hour and you have a question or a comment to make about today's program, you can email me at RebeccaCosta.com or send me a note on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. And let me know what you thought about our conversation with Peter Schiff today. And uh, if you missed the full interview or any of our other uh, guests' interviews, you can download previous episodes of the Costa Report from our website, Apple iTunes, Podbean, and our new YouTube channel. 
And I also want to take a moment to thank listeners who put the Watchman's Rattle on their Christmas list. And those of you who've ordered your autographed copies from our website, we're shipping those orders as fast as we can. And on behalf of the staff here at the Costa Report, I want to thank you uh, for your support. 100% of book proceeds go to keeping nonpartisan programming like the Costa Report on the air. So the Watchman's Rattle is a gift that you can feel good about giving. Besides which, it's the only book that spells out the three signs to watch for prior to a collapse. And and just like Peter Schiff, I I want you to know what they are so that you'll be prepared. So go to the Costa Report um, or you can go to RebeccaCosta.com if you haven't done so and put your book order in right now and and do it while we still have free holiday shipping. Um, My guest next week, and you're not going to want to miss this, is the chairman of the United States Regulatory Commission, Allison McFarland. She'll be with me to give us an update. This is long overdue. We need an update on the status of Fukushima and also our own country's plans for nuclear power. So don't miss Allison McFarlane next week right here on the only news program that puts policy ahead of politics. Now stay tuned for another hour of Straight Talk Radio following these important messages. You're listening to the Costa Report. Did you know that every day we create 2.5 quintillion bytes of data and that 90% of the data in the world today has been created in the last two years alone? This data comes from everywhere and it affects everyone. This data is big data. Big data is all data, and it's more than simply a matter of size. Big data represents an opportunity to uncover new insights, make your business more agile, and answer questions that were previously beyond your reach. IBM's big data platform uses sophisticated technologies and patented advanced analytics designed to complement your existing information infrastructure. The IBM Big Data platform allows you to get started quickly today and expand to address more complex problems tomorrow. It doesn't matter where you start, it matters that you start. Find out how IBM can help you turn big data into a competitive advantage by visiting ibm.com slash big data today. A few years ago, I noticed I was feeling increasingly tired. My fatigue was so intense that I got to the point sometimes when I got home from work, I couldn't even remember the drive. The excessive tiredness and forgetfulness, not to mention my snoring that constantly woke up my husband, prompted me to get a sleep test. The results showed that I have sleep apnea. Sleep apnea is a common disorder. In fact, 50 to 60% of those who snore have it. Many couples accept snoring as an inevitable part of nightly life, but sleep apnea is associated with serious health problems, such as the risk of high blood pressure, heart attack, stroke, and even heart failure. Treatments for sleep apnea range from simple lifestyle changes to breathing machines to surgery. Treating my sleep apnea has changed my life. Armed with information, you too could be on your way to a restful night's sleep and a healthier life. Learn more at wakeuptosleep.org or call 877-389-8868. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.